Hello, we love words. Written, spoken, hinted, shouted, gentle, outrageous, and always enlightening. Intriguing. But there again, we are library staff. You'd expect nothing less. So tune into Library Words for interviews, memories, business tips, stories, and more. We'll talk to authors, poets, and local people, always keeping you usefully entertained. To mark Black History Month 2021, I will take you in words and music through the musical life of the legendary reggae singer-songwriter Bob Marley. Following last year's celebrations of what would have been his 75th birthday, he would be 76 years old now, and we wonder how much more music he would have made had he not died so young. The following Lewisham Library Scar and Reggae presentation closely tracks and celebrates the progression through Bob Marley's musical journey up to and beyond his untimely death in 1981. Hello everyone. That was Natural Mystic from the 1977 classic album Exodus and bestseller, spawning classics like Waiting in Vain, Three Little Verds and Jamming, demonstrating the huge reach and worldwide influence of Marley's music. Bob Marley and his partners Bunny Livingston and Peter Tosh formed part of the Wailing Wailers, which was made up of the Soul Brothers, who were members of the accomplished and hit ska band The Scatterlights. Scar was the newly hugely popular electrified form of its jazz-based predecessor, Jamaican R&B. By adding an electric bass and later electric guitars, it gave its familiar jerking beat a more immediate and punchy sound. Recognising the potential of the Wailing Wailers, Clement Coxone Dodd took them under his wing and began recording their singles at his successful Studio One. He was not wrong. One of their first singles, Simmer Down, was a smash hit throughout Jamaica, and further singles established them as a household name. Simmer Down's urgency reflects brilliantly the tensions of rude boy gun and ratchet or blade culture present throughout the island that railed against political oppression due to massive inequality experienced by most black Jamaicans. At this time, musical influences were also coming from outside Jamaica via newly purchased handheld radios that could pick up the American charts featuring soul in the form of Ray Charles, the Drifters and the energy of James Brown, but also the energy of rock and roll acts such as Elvis Presley, which produced some lesser known song covers. But first is the original of One Love. was a hit for three different artists all in the same year, 
The original by Dean and the Belmonts and then covered by Marty Wilde and Craig, Craig Douglas and now the Wailing Wailers, Teenager in Love. <laughs> Next influence is from the third Beatles album, Hard Day's Night, from 1964. The 60s British invasion must have been heard on the US airwaves and appreciated, and arguably sowed the seeds for the roots rock style of reggae that emerged a decade later. Next is an interesting offbeat influence from one of Bob Dylan's early electric hits from 1965, with the words slightly changed, more famously covered by Jimi Hendrix and more recently the Rolling Stones, which imbued the Wailers with a feel of the psychedelic underground of the 60s that, in my opinion, never really left them. Specials and the whole of the 1977 Scar revival were certainly influenced by the Wailing Wailers, along with the other original Scar bands coming out of Jamaica at the time. By the end of 1966, Peter, Bunny, and Bob started to move away from the onstage suited pop style of a performance group and truncated their name to simply the Wailers. The three of them, in earnest, began to experiment with their own songwriting with the newly emerged form of Rocksteady, which slowed the ska beat down into a more complex rhythm and was the precursor for reggae. For the next few years, Rocksteady dominated the music scene. Retaining an interest in all things spiritual, at this time Marley was also influenced by Mortimer Plano. Mortimer Plano led a rejected-by-society, out-of-town communal movement that, believing in all things natural, lived according to a strict Ital diet, read from the King James Bible, rejected alcohol and smoked marijuana, which grew freely on the island, which they claim gave them a state of meditation to enhance self-reflection and therefore spiritual development, and probably more important to Mali, creating their own Nyabingi music of cultural drumming and spiritual chant, constituting, it could be argued, the earliest and purest form of reggae. Above all, they believed in Jah as the creator of all things, with Haile Selassie being the manifestational messiah of their living God on earth, 
Around this time, Marley was aligning himself and his beliefs with the Rastafarian movement. It could be said that Marley's contribution to the development of spiritual or roots reggae he saw as an ongoing spiritual endeavour which he retained for the rest of his life. Whalem Solemn Records was founded in 1967 for which they self-produced an album's worth of singles with notable success. In the vein of the newly developed form, here it is in the original Rocksteady version of Stare It Up. From 1968, the Whalers then embarked on a songwriting and management contract with Jad Records. Most of this material retained a more soul-based style of music, looking to attract a more international market, but was never released. From those archives then, is the original Rocksteady version of the less famous Soul Captain. themselves, the Whalers founded the then legendary and immediately successful Tough Gone Records in 1969 and set about releasing their own singles. Here is an early version of Bipe Up Yourself that later appeared on the ever popular Live at the Lyceum album. As word spread of the Whalers' solid material, a leading producer, Leslie Kong, who previously produced the popular Maytals that later became Toots and the Maytals to international acclaim, Leslie Kong offered to produce an album for them. Released as the best of the Whalers, it was infused with his pioneering bouncy sound. This then the Soul Shakedown Party. Never wanting to be left out of the action, arguably the most aggressive producer in Jamaican music, Lee Scratch Perry joined forces with the Whalers in 1970 to encourage them towards a purer Jamaican sound rather than one that was influenced by rock and soul. This resulted in the release of the groundbreaking Soul Rebels and Soul Revolution 2 albums. It also, in a Perry genius move, paired the rhythm section of bassist Aston Family Man Barrett and his drumming brother for the first time with Peter Bunny and Bob that would form the basis of the fully standalone band The Wailers on their subsequent albums with Ireland Records. So firstly from Soul Rebels is Soul Rebel. Interesting to note that on these albums, Lee Scratch Perry billed them as Bob Marley and the Whalers for marketing purposes rather than the Whalers agreeing to be named as such. In effect, they were still the Whalers. Developing their sound and songwriting with Lee Scratch Perry's production, a second album, Soul Revolution 2, Nobody Knows What Happened to Soul Revolution 1, was released in 1971, along with a vocally reduced version based on Perry's recent experiments and mixing. 
This revolutionary approach developed the music into the form later known as dub, where the vocals are dubbed out and then sampled back in at the producer's discretion, creating patterns and echoes of the song. On careful listening to the second track here, the dub or version as it was known then, you can still hear the guiding vocal in the background. Here are Keep On Moving and this early dub version. Whilst the Wailers were still experimenting with Lee Scratch Perry and creating what was becoming the sound of reggae, a style that was more deliberate and pronounced, they met Chris Blackwell, owner of Island Records, who recognised the opportunity and gave the Wailers an advance to make an album, which he intended to release in the UK and US to test the market for an acceptance to reggae. The Wailers, independently from any producer, created the reggae masterpiece Catch a Fire. Chris Blackwell suggested they rocked it up a bit with the addition of electric guitar to make it more palatable to UK and US audience. By 1973, Catch a Fire was both released as an original Jamaican version under the Wailers and as a rock reggae version in the UK and US, marketed as Bob Marley and the Wailers. It was initially released in a novelty sleeve in the shape of the popular Zippo lighter that opened on a hinge to reveal the flame of the lighter. This then is the opening track Concrete Jungle from the Lesser Heard original Jamaican version. No sun will shine in my day today. No sun will shine. The high yellow Later in 1973, hot on the heels of Catch a Fire, the album Burning would be their final release as The Wailers, producing the classic Get Up Stand Up. Here is a version from the archives that is less rock influenced than the one used on the album and would probably have appeared on a Jamaican release had there been one. Bob Marley and the Wailers then came to Britain to support the Catch a Fire and Burning albums, as they would do to support further releases throughout the 70s. Before crafting their next album, 1974's Natty Dread, Wailers Peter Tosh and Bunny Livingston, despite their close ties and shared Rastafarian beliefs, left the group to follow their own careers, leaving Bob now to officially title the group Bob Marley and the Wailers, who were now accompanied by the I-3s, consisting of Rita Marley, Judy Moat and Marthia Griffiths. Here is the lesser heard album version of the hit No Woman No Cry. 
band then came back to Britain to support the Natty Dread album and to perform to sell out audiences at the Lyceum, one of London's most prominent venues. The second show was released as live at the Lyceum in 1975. Here is Trenchtown Rock from the classic opening of the concert. This is the Trenchtown Experience. All the way from Trenchtown, Jamaica. Bob Martin, the waiters, come on. Continued Rastafarian further, the next album, Rastaman Vibration, was completed in 1976 as their popularity continued to grow. Here is the classic War, adapted from a speech Haile Selassie gave to the United Nations in 1963. Until the philosophy which old one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently 1977 saw the release of the landmark and international smash and Exodus album mentioned at the start of the series but Marley had also had a health scare he sought treatment on his toe he had injured playing football that had become cancerous. Released as a single now called, as we heard in part one, One Love, People Get Ready, incorporated the song by Curtis Mayfield. The video contained stars such as Paul McCartney, two-tone stars Neville Staple of the Specials and Sugs of Madness, as well as members of British reggae groups, Aswad and Musical Youth. Recognition indeed. This then is the unofficial worldwide anthem to peace and unity. Having been in Britain again, Marley returned to Jamaica to perform the One Love Peace concert, where amid continuing violence and uprest, he got Prime Minister Michael Manley and the opposition leader Edward Siaga to shake hands on stage in an unprecedented gesture. So from the 1978 album Kaya is the now classic Sun That same year, Marley made his first trip to Africa visiting Ethiopia, an especially important nation to him as it's viewed as the spiritual homeland of Rastafarians, which hugely influenced the content of the next album, Survival. The cover united the various African national flags in solidarity and showed in the background a planned view of a slave ship, 
Marley was not afraid to shy away from the truths of black history. So here is the 1979 So Much Trouble in the World. By now, Marley's prominence was soaring, and in 1980, Bob Marley and the Wailers were invited to play at the official independence ceremony for the new nation of Zimbabwe, which in line with Rastafarian views of repatriation, saw the decolonization of Rhodesia. Here then is a rare band played version of the moving redemption song from the 1980 Uprising album. While on European and US tours, Marley had become very ill. The cancer discovered earlier in his toe had spread throughout his body. Travelling to Germany, Marley underwent unconventional treatment, but it soon became clear that Marley did not have much longer to live. However, the musician set out to return to his beloved Jamaica one last time. Sadly, he would not manage to complete the journey, dying in Miami, Florida on May the 11th, 1981. Adored by the people of Jamaica, Marley was given a hero send-off held at the National Arena in Kingston, Jamaica. However, that was not the end of the music. Marley had been working on some songs prior to his death, and it was then completed and produced by the band and released posthumously. Here then from Consultation, we give thanks and praises for Marley's songs and life. He will not deceive us, my brethren. He will only Before Marley died, he had already received the Order of Merit from the Jamaican government and had also been awarded the Medal of Peace from the United Nations a year before. Marley's commitment to fighting oppression also continues through the Bob Marley Foundation that is devoted to helping people and organisations in developing nations that was established in his memory by the Marley family. His influence continues far and wide to this day. Thanks for listening. Hope it made you want to move your dancing feet. Thanks for listening and catch us again for more library words. Remember to subscribe to never miss an episode and links to all of our social media can be found on the podcast summary.